Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong, but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women, and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today we'll be speaking to Ashley Sutton. Ashley was born and raised on Long Island, New York, about an hour from New York City. It wasn't until she moved to Colorado for graduate school that she started thinking about where her food comes from. Ashley met her husband in graduate school out west, and he introduced her to the world of agriculture. It wasn't long before they decided that they wanted to keep some animals of their own one day, and in March 2020, Ashley and her husband started their homestead in Vermont. During the first year, they kept laying hens, raised meat chickens, and a couple of feeder pigs and grew a large garden to become more self-sufficient. Ashley thinks it's extremely important to share where our food comes from before it gets to the grocery store, and she loves growing and raising delicious food to nourish her friends, family, and community. Before we get to Ashley's episode, I want to share this week's listener review. This week's five-star rating and review comes from 780Amanda via Apple Podcasts in Canada, and it's titled Inspiration Found Here. The host of the podcast, Caitlin, has a knack for asking all of the right questions that inspire meaningful and insightful conversations. Listening to each woman share their story often feels like I'm enjoying the company of a few good friends over coffee. Every episode is packed full of inspiration and egg knowledge. It's a podcast that I recommend to all my rural and not rural friends. Well, thank you so much for that kind rating and review over on Apple. And my friends, that is the last review that I have to read to you. So if you have not left a rating and review, I encourage you to do that wherever you listen to the show. Also, if you want to leave a rating or review over on the show notes on wildrosefarmer.com or on our Facebook page, all of those places, I am happy to receive your feedback. And if you haven't been over to wildrosefarmer.com lately, I got a new website and I have to say it's very pretty and I have to thank the team over at Kim & Co for that because It's much prettier than I ever made my first website. So (laughs) be sure to head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can check out the show notes for this episode or any of the other 150, 60 episodes, as well as there's a lot of other great stuff over on my website. So thanks again to Kim and Co for 
creating such a beautiful place to share these stories and my own story. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Ashley. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today on the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm doing so well today. (laughs) Good. I'm so happy to chat with you and to get to know more about you and your story and all of the good things. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, who are you? What is your background and how did you get your start in agriculture? Um, My name is Ashley. I... So I grew up about an hour or so outside of New York City. And so I grew up in a very like suburban area. It was very regular to like go to New York City to like have dinner or go to shows or things. And then I found myself out in Colorado for grad school. And out there, I met my husband. And so he grew up more in a rural area of upstate New York, close to the Albany area. And so he grew up more heavily involved in agriculture doing, he was milking cows and he like bred sheep for a little while and things. And so one of his big things was, Hey, like once we get done with school, like I want to have some animals. And I was like, okay, if that's what you want to do, I'll give it a shot. (laughs) And then, so we were out in Colorado for a little while. We ended up getting some chicks from tractor supply. Like probably everybody says chickens are like the gateway drug to So homesteading and farming. And then once we moved back east to Vermont, we continued with the chickens. We raised some pigs. We do meat birds every year. And we have two dairy cows now. So we are in the thick of it. And then we do a bunch of gardening and things and preserving and canning. And so I guess my husband kind of threw me in it, but I'm very happy that he did. That's amazing. The gateway drug of the chicken uh, through your loving husband. What were you taking in grad school? What were you majoring in? So I am an embryologist by trade. So I work in the IVF field and my husband actually like does the same things, but he works um, with dairy cattle. He doesn't work with humans. That's an interesting uh, dinner time conversation, I'm sure. Oh yeah, for (laughs) sure. Absolutely. So you said you grew up you know, just outside of New York, which to me, I'm like amazed by not ever being to New York myself, but always dreaming of going there. What was your first memories around food? Like when you think back to growing up, where did you think food came from? I guess so. I have a very like Italian American family. um, So food is always like at the forefront of all of our holidays and family gatherings and things. And I have a lot of very, very good cooks in my family. And so I don't know, like, I guess I never thought about where the food came from. I was like, oh, we need this. Let's like go to the store and we have it. I never, I guess, thought about what it takes to like grow beef or like grow vegetables and all of that sort of thing. I guess growing up a little bit, my mom, she would keep like a couple of small raised beds just for like a few cucumber plants and like a tomato plant or such, but nothing like too substantial, I guess. And I had like never really thought about it until I went out for grad school and I went to CSU and they have like quite a robust agriculture and animal science program out there. And so I kind of was learning about it and I was like, wow, this is wild. Like I bet so many people 
where I grew up, like, you don't think about it because it's just like, oh, let's just go to the food store, you pick it up and you're like, good to go. Yeah. It, it's always a question that I always wonder from people, especially who grew up in bigger city centers, because like you said, if you're not surrounded by it, you just assume that when you go to the grocery store, the food's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, that's not the reality for a lot of people, even in 2022. So tell us about your current operation and what what did you guys start with? Um, you said you went to Tractor Supply and got the chickens, but how have you grown from there? So our current property, it's just like a house with a decent amount of land, but it's not like, or it wasn't, I guess, a farm by any means. So we had to build all of the outbuildings and stuff that we have now. And so we put together a chicken coop. Our first spring, I guess it would have been March of 2020, I guess. And... So we started with that and then we had our laying hens and then we did, I think, 50 meat chickens our first year. And then that first year also, we got some feeder pigs. I think we started with two pigs the first year and we grew them. We actually had a pig roast for our wedding that year. That was like very cool to be able to like feed our family and friends with something that we like grew directly from a little piglet. And everybody said it was so delicious. It's the best pork they ever had. And I was like, yeah, that's because, you know, like we're feeding it well. Like the animals are happy. They're out. They're running around in the grass and having a good old life. And then the next year in the spring is when we decided to get a dairy cow. And so she was a pregnant heifer at that time. So she had her first calf here. And then that same year, we like did the whole meat birds again. I think we did 150 that year. So we like scaled up quite a bit. I mean, we were able to sell some of that, which was great. And then we did pigs again. And now we're in our third year and we scaled back on the meat chickens quite a bit just because of, I guess, like the time investment and things. Both me and my husband, we have off farm jobs. And so it was a lot for us to do all of the processing and everything all ourselves. And we didn't do pigs this year because we're still, freezers still packed full of pork from last year. And so this year we just have the chickens and the cows and that's keeping us plenty busy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, especially with having a full-time job off farm, any of those things, any single one of those animals would be a lot of extra work to do on evenings and weekends. You actually have a milk cow that I'm racking my brain here and I don't think this breed of cow has ever been featured on the Rural Woman podcast. So tell us more about the breed of your dairy cow. Yeah. So our, I guess the milk cow, the mama, um, her name is Bert. We call her mama Bert. Um, She is a Guernsey cow. And then Acorn is her little heifer calf that we had. I guess she's a yearling now. She's like almost ready to like be bred herself. (laughs) And so they are a breed of cow, I guess, from England. I think they're like sort of similar to the Jersey cow. They're a little bit bigger, but they're not quite as big as a Holstein. But what's nice is that they still give like a decent amount of milk and they give a really, really lovely cream line. And so Guernseys are known for their quote unquote golden Guernsey milk. They 
metabolize like beta carotene, like the same thing that's in carrots that make carrots orange, essentially. So they metabolize it in a different way. And so their milk, when they're on fresh grass and fresh pasture in the spring and summertime, it has like this really, really lovely yellow, like hue to it almost. It's like very, very different from the like stark white milk that you get from the grocery store. And yeah, she's great. She like gives us a ton of milk and we like, we'll process that. I make a bunch of cheese and yogurt. What else? Regatta, butter. Butter is the best. Just make a ton of it, throw it in the freezer. It's good like all winter long. (laughs) For anyone that's interested in a Guernsey cow, what advice do you have for them or any suggestions? Why would you choose a Guernsey over, let's say, a Jersey or a Holstein? So I think Guernseys are pretty, like they're a pretty mellow cow. So I guess Holsteins, and like, this is my first cow, so I've never had any other breed of cow, but this is what my husband tells me and he like works in the cattle industry. So we'll, we'll take his word for it. So I guess like Holsteins are a little bit more high strung and the volume of milk that they give is so, so large in comparison to the Guernsey, just because like they've been bred for that, right? Like they've been bred for production and for volume. And then I don't know, I might get a little bit of hate of this because people love their Jersey cows, but Jersey's like, I guess they have the reputation of being a little bit like divas and like they can be a little moody. And Guernsey's, you know, like Bert, she was a heifer. So it's not like she was ever milked before. And the first time that we milked her, she stood there. She was happy. She was just looking at me like, what are you doing, lady? Are you done yet? Are you like, you got what you need? But she's great. She like, she's very, very sweet. Her calf is very, very sweet. So 10 out of 10 recommend. (laughs) There you go. That's great. And I love how you, you mentioned that you might get hate for it. I always feel like people have their breeds and that is like what they know and that's what they stick to. So I love, uh, I love your love for the Guernsey cow. Yeah, (laughs) we'll stick with them. We love them. Yeah, for sure. You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Rural Women podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Annabelle writes, I became a patron so I could enrich my knowledge of the diverse world of agriculture. Although I live and breathe farming and ranching, there is a lot I don't know. I believe learning that how and why people do things will help me improve being a better rancher myself. This podcast also helps with the feeling of isolation. I hear the voices of ladies from all walks of life living a similar life to my own. This type of outreach is not only vital for us in the business, but those wanting to learn about the people growing and raising their food. I'm well aware that podcasts take an outstanding amount of time and money to create, so I felt like I, as well as others, can make a small monthly contribution that can help make a long-lasting podcast. Join Annabelle and the rest of the patron gang in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Women podcast starting at $2 a month over on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more. So you've also got into growing food on your farm for produce. What uh, what have you been growing in your gardens? So we had, I guess, quite like 
quite a menagerie this year <laughs> of all sorts of different stuff. We do a bunch of cucumbers just like for slicing and for pickles. We did just an insane amount of tomatoes, um, mostly for sauce. We put up a ton of cans of tomato sauce. And like I mentioned before, like I come from an Italian background. So red sauce keeps us going all winter long with all of the yummy Italian dishes we can make there. We do a bunch of peppers. My husband really likes spicy things. Me, not so much, but we'll do some like sauces and hot sauces and things for him. We did some eggplants this year and last year, which I'm very proud of because we grew them from seed. And I guess it's like very difficult to grow them from seed and we're in zone four. So it's not like we have a super long growing season and like we got a decent amount of vegetables from them. So pumped about that. And then I guess the other really like large crop that we had is we did a bunch of potatoes and a bunch of onions too. And so those right now are just like stowed away. We have them in crates in the basement. And when we need something for dinner, it's nice. We just like can run down there, grab them and then start cooking. Yeah, that's amazing. How did you learn how to start preserving all of your vegetables that you're growing? So... We use the Ball Blue Book. That's like the Bible for learning how to can. My husband had canned with his mother and his grandmother and his aunt. When he was like growing up, all of them have like very extensive gardens that would probably put ours to shame, <laughs> but they've been doing it for a long time. And so, yeah, I don't know. We did that. We watched a bunch of YouTube videos and it's kind of... I guess it's canning is like kind of similar to science. Like I'm sure there's an art to it and like you can kind of like bend the rules here and there, but I don't know. I'm like too paranoid about botulism and whatever other like foodborne illnesses could be in like poorly canned foods. So we just like stick to the protocol that the book gives us and then we're pretty good. They're like pretty easy to follow too. And then I think for like pressure canning and things, we looked at like the Vermont State Extension website. And they had a lot of good info on there too. So it's amazing. I think it's so interesting. And especially after the pandemic, how people kind of started learning all of these old techniques all over again, like the sourdough bread and even bread making in general. What is, I think, is still such a trend to this day. And it, I'm happy to see it because I think these are art forms that, you know, maybe our grandmothers did or their mothers did before that kind of just went away because of the conveniences that we had that, well, we can just go to the store and get a jar of tomato sauce versus growing a seed from tomato and or tomato seed and growing it and canning it and all of these things, right? So I think it's really I think it's really interesting and it's something that I I have an interest in learning more and more to do but also I am at the point where I have to put myself in the position of how much time do I actually have to to do these things currently right now most of the tomatoes that I grew this past growing season are in my freezer as whole tomatoes and they will be processed, you know, when the snow is flying in February, because it's just like, that's the time that I have right now to give to it. So I just think it's really neat that we can kind of adapt these old ways of doing things into our modern everyday life now. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're like definitely in the same boat. So even though we canned a bunch of tomatoes, like we definitely planted probably way too many plants. <laughs> and so I also have just like 
a bunch of tomatoes in my freezer that like we just didn't have time for because there was other like more pressing things to do. And once it's, I don't know, negative 10 out and like there's three foot of snow on the ground outside, I will happily be putting up like a pot of fresh sauce on the stove and canning it for later. I'm like, you let us know when you're doing that and we'll be there for dinner, Ashley. Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) We can live stream it. It'll be great. Yeah. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you have faced in starting your homestead? You are still relatively new to this, so I'm sure there has been some growing experiences uh, over the last three years. Oh, yeah. I mean, something, I guess like it's kind of a challenge. It just like took a lot of time to get the buildings up. So because like we had to build the chicken coop and then we had to build a barn with like a milking stanchion and everything for the cow. So that was just, I guess, kind of time consuming. My husband really likes to build things though. So he was more than smitten to go outside and be like, oh, okay, I'll put another building up. (laughs) And I guess like something for me personally that has been pretty challenging is the loss of animals, I guess. And like people always say like, oh, if you have livestock, you have dead stock. And like, while that's very much true, like whenever we send say like the pigs to butcher or like when we're processing our meat chickens, like it's not fun. It's not like a day anybody looks forward to. And like, I definitely get upset about it still, but I'm just thinking like, okay, you know, like these animals had like a very, very good life, you know, like this is their one not so good day. And I don't know. I kind of try and rationalize it like that, I guess. And I know that like our animals Like we did the best that we could for our animals. You know what I mean? And they see like, I don't know, they all seem happy and things and like predators too. Like even when we've had, I don't know, a few chickens, like because we let our hens free range. So we've had a few like laying hens get snatched by whether it's a raccoon or a fox or something because we live in like a pretty like wooded area. It's not so much pasture. And so, like, we have predators around and, like, we do our best to keep everybody safe, you know. But I'm like, well, I would rather have our chickens be out foraging and scratching around and having a good time than keeping them locked up inside. And you hope that nobody gets them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Losing an animal, I don't care if you've been a farmer for, you know, your entire life or 15 minutes. I don't think anyone has ever enjoyed losing an animal, whether it's to a predator or having to send it to be processed. But I think, you know, that can be a common misconception that folks outside of agriculture don't really think of. It does take a mental toll on us when animals go to get processed, whether you've, like I said, whether you've been doing this your whole life or if this is new to you. I know for me, it's never easy to lose an animal, whether they're a farm pet or it's livestock on your farm or anything like that. But I feel like, you know, the longer you're in it, the easier maybe you're able to recover afterwards. You're not uh, in bed for a week afterwards, maybe like the first one. For me anyways, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think those are all important and big challenges that you faced and, you know, starting anything from scratch, whether it's a building or your company or whatever it is, like it's a lot of work on top of having full-time jobs off of your operation too. Yeah, we, we like have a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> what are some of the things that you would say that you are the most proud of that you have accomplished in the last few years? So I guess not coming from a dairy background or like any sort of agriculture background, I obviously knew like, okay, you have to like, you have to milk a cow, whether it's a hundred degrees out or whether it's like negative 20 at night, like you have to go milk the cow. And so I guess having Bert and like having her milking schedule has been a really, really great sense of pride for me. Just because on those days where like, oh, I could be a little bit warmer and cozier in bed right now, it's pitch black outside, but it's like, well, you have to milk the cow before you go to work. So, you know, we go out there, we milk the cow and then you come home and it's like, you have to milk the cow, (laughs) you know, like it has to get done. And like, to be fair, we were doing calf sharing for a while also, and that gave us a little bit more flexibility. So that way, like we were only milking her twice a day or once a day, sorry. And, but I don't know, like, it's really nice. And like, it makes me feel really good that like all of these animals outside, you know, like they depend on us, like they need us for food and water and like, sure. They probably could like forage around for stuff and like be okay. But like those animals, they depend on us to make sure that like they're living happy lives. And I like to be the one that's like taking care of them, giving them their little ear scratches (laughs) under the chin scratches her uh Bert's calf acorn she'll come up to me and she just like waves her big old head in the air because she knows she's like hey lady can I have my chin scratches now she knows but yeah I think that's really cool and then I also think it is pretty amazing with the amount of food that we have stowed away I don't want to say like stowed away for winter because we'll eat this stuff all year but there's something very very reassuring especially with what's going on in like the grocery stores right now about having two freezers full of chicken meat that we can have whenever we want and full of pork too. We have not crossed the bridge into the beef world yet. I don't know that we'll ever raise a beef cow, but if we have chicken and pork covered, at least that's like two of them, two of the three main proteins. And then like all the vegetables too, all the stuff that we have canned. It's like very nice to know that we're like growing this for our family and you know, we're like able to feed ourselves. I don't know. I like, don't think many people, especially nowadays, like kind of what you were saying are either doing it or like, I feel like a lot of people don't think that they can do it, but like anybody could do it. You just like, you just have to try, you know? Yeah. Well, there's just different ways of doing things too. And whether that's growing it yourself, or if you're able to do a few things yourself, like you said, your pork and chicken. And if you have a neighbor that, grows cattle for beef, then it's like, well, I can support them or support somebody else local or whatever it is, right? Any little thing that you can do. I think people really can sometimes discount. Yeah, sometimes it's a lot of work, but I feel like the pride that you get afterwards eating a meal or at least part of your meal that you knew that you grew or you raised or whatever it is, like it's a really cool feeling that I really hope people have at least once in their life. Oh yeah. And like, it's so nice if like we have family over or friends, we have a couple friends who are um, like sort of doing similar things to us. One of them, like they're full blown dairy farmers. Like that is their like bread and butter profession essentially. And so like, it's always nice, like having people over and they're like, Oh wow. Like this tastes so good. Like it tastes so fresh. Like 
your eggs are so orange, like all of these things. And it's like, yeah, like we did that, you know, like (laughs) we were able to do that. So. Yeah. It's so cool. And so rewarding. So I'm proud of you too. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, what is some advice that you would give to somebody listening who has ever thought about starting their own property or their own operation, or they're currently just in the beginning stages, what uh, words of encouragement do you have for them? Something that I think about a lot is like, it does not have to be perfect. Like you can start where you are with what you have, you know, whether like if you've never grown a garden before, you can go get one pack of seeds for like pretty inexpensive and like try growing a cucumber, you know, or like try growing a tomato plant or like even don't even get the seeds, like go to Home Depot or Tractor Supply, whatever, get a little start, you know, like you can get a little seedling and then see like if you can grow a plant and get some food off of it. Or like, like what I was saying before with chickens being the gateway drug, like they truly are. I think chickens are pretty easy keepers and like pretty, like, I think there's a low barrier to entry with chickens. You know, you don't need to have all of this experience. Like basically as long as they have food and water, they're good to go and a place to sleep at night. Like they're good. I think once you get into like larger livestock, like cows or even sheep and goats, you know, it might be wise to see if there's somebody in the area or somebody online that you can reach out to for a little bit of mentorship. Because I know if my husband did not have like cattle experience, I would not know how to take care of a cow or like how to handle a cow, like how to maneuver her and get her to do what I want her to do. And I think really most times, like more times than not, farmers are very willing to help people, especially like you could probably even say like, Hey, can I come like shadow you? Or can I come help? Like people are always looking for extra hands, but I think it's important. Like it does not have to be perfect before you start, before you get started. And like, Time always goes on. There's always going to be another growing season. If you really mess something up and you like kill all your plants there, just start again in the spring. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, not things aren't going to be perfect. Nothing ever is in life. So you might as well give her your good old honest try and uh, like right give her the college try give her the college try so and if it doesn't work out well then you get to do it all again next year so i love that that's so good ashley what are your future plans for your homestead so in vermont we have pretty good raw milk laws to be able to sell raw milk so i would very much like to be able to share burnt milk with our community we just like have to essentially jump through the hoops and get, I guess, certified and like accredited, I guess, by the state. And my husband has to build another building for that. So he'll be excited. (laughs) And so we would like to do that. And probably this next year, we'll get some more pigs to try and till up some of our like overgrown forest. So I guess when we had like bought this house and this property, the sellers were telling us that it used to be like a, a sheep farm back like years and years ago. And as we go around the perimeter, like you can kind of see some of the, um, the barbed wire lines like grown into trees and stuff from old fences. And so we're trying to like, we're trying our best, I guess, to put up fence like, 
where the old fence used to be and things, but we have to do quite a bit of work to the overgrown forest because it hasn't been grazed in some time. And so what we have been doing is using the pigs to kind of till up the land. So then that way we can plant like good seed for pasture for the cows to be able to graze on it. So hopefully we like make some more progress doing that. And then I know my husband wants to get back into sheep. Um, that was something that he very much enjoyed. And I'm all for the cute little baby lambs. I know you're a goat lady yourself, but. <laughs> lambs are cute too. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's kind of what we have going on the horizon here. Our main thing, something I would like to get done like relatively soon is to start selling milk because it's just the most delicious thing. Yeah. Well, and it's great for you to be in an area and in a state that you're able to do that because I know there's a lot of places that you can't, uh, although people would like to. So that's really neat. And it'll be something exciting to watch and see you grow throughout the next few years. And after that, and all of the good things that are happening out on your homestead. So Ashley, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? I think that it is most rewarding to have grown up so close to a major city and grow up literally not knowing a thing about like farming or agriculture or really anything about the food system. And in like a relatively short amount of time, I've like learned a whole bunch. I have skills that like I never thought that I would have. And even when like I've been thrown some curveballs with things with our animals or garden or what have you, you know, like you just kind of keep, keep on keeping on essentially. And I don't know. I think it's really cool that I'm able to like grow my own food and like feed myself, feed my family, like feed our community. I don't know. I think, I think more people should just like take a minute, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up. I think like Canadian Thanksgiving has passed already, but, <laughs> but American Thanksgiving is coming up like just before, like you're sitting down to eat, you know, if like you hadn't thought about it before, be like, oh, wow. Like sure. All of this stuff came from the grocery store, but like before it got to the grocery store, like maybe just ponder for a second, like, where did it come from? You know, like somebody worked very hard over it and to grow it. So, yeah. And that's something to be thankful for on your American Thanksgiving. I'll think of you on a regular old Thursday here in Canada. Thank you. <laughs> it has been so great chatting with you today and getting to know you better, Ashley. For the folks who are listening who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? So we have an Instagram page. It is at Fern Creek Farmstead. I try and keep up with it as much as possible. I can't say that like I'm extremely, extremely active on there just because of all of the things that go on, <laughs> but that would be the best place for me. Perfect. And I will link that in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you and try and keep up with you. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. 
The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story.